Welcome to Credits Due, the podcast where we break down one actor's filmography, one movie at a time. Uh, I am your host, Ben Cron. With me to my left is Tyler Owen. How's it going? And to my other left is Neil Potter. <laughs> hey, hey, hey! Other left guy. <laughs> uh, what is up, everyone? Welcome to the show. Uh, we are on part seven of our series on Scarlett Johansson. We are, and on this episode, we will be uh, talking about the 2013 movie Her, uh, directed by. Spike Jones, starring Scarlett Johansson and Joaquin Phoenix. Um, first, we will start with some trivia about the movie. We'll jump into our spoiler-filled discussion on the movie Her, and then we'll leave you with uh, some recommendations. So, let's get started. Uh, Tyler, do you have some uh, trivia for us? I do. And as usual, I have one hidden piece of uh, trivia that is a fake. And so I will have you guys try to figure it out. So number one, Samantha Morton was originally the voice of Samantha. She was present on the set with Joaquin Phoenix every day. Spike Jones was unhappy with the editing. And so he decided to recast Samantha with Morton's blessing. Number two. Spike Jones fought to reduce the use of CGI wherever possible in order to lend a more tangible quality to his vision of the near future. This including, included building the aircraft art sculpture that he liked from a piece of concept art. The structure was torn down after production. Number three. Amy Adams said Spike Jones would essentially lock her and Joaquin Phoenix in a room together for an hour or two every other day and make them talk to each other. Adams credits this for her and Phoenix's close friendship. And number four, stuck in the editing process with an early 150-minute cut, Spike Jones asked Steven Soderbergh to edit it down. Soderbergh came back within 24 hours with a 90-minute cut, <laughs> which helped Jones make the final version, which ran at 126 minutes. So, one of these is a fiction that I have invented, and... Neil, why don't you tell me which one you think it is? Uh, I think that the airplane one is fictitious. All right. Ben? I, I'm going to say the same thing. I, I believe that is the fake one as well. All right, you guys both got me this week. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what um, was it that gave it away? I will. I will cop out to or cop up whatever that saying is. I will say that <laughs> I knew the first one about Samantha Morton uh -huh. that she was originally cast as the voice of her, and it wasn't until post production that Scarlett Johansson got brought on, and. Um, the, the last one about Steven Soderbergh, that is just a Soderbergh ass thing to do to edit someone's movie in 24 hours. <laughs> yeah. So that first oh. one, I almost always include one that I feel is fairly common knowledge just to give you guys an easy one. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. I still think that is just a fascinating piece of trivia about this movie. Mm -hmm. Like 
the idea that he recorded all of these lines or you know a majority of them with someone who's actually there on set and then in the end they just get edited over in post-production yeah. by a different actress. she got she got david proust to the guy who played darth vader totally totally <laughs> yeah uh oh, well but wait was uh but the david proust one that was like uh that was shady <laughs> because really? I didn't tell him until like the movie came out. Oh, yeah. no shit. Yeah. Yeah. Was he, did he film the movie thinking he was going to be the voice as well? Yes. Yes, he did. Oh shit. He even, I did not you know can that. You can find cuts of him yeah. giving his lines on screen. <laughs> uh-huh. Like, and he's just really giving it to him. Like he's really trying these lines out, but like, he sounds like a, like a pipsqueak. So oh, like damn. Yeah. You have James Earl Jones's voice over it. It's so much better. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, he went into that fully well knowing that he thought he was going to be the voice of Darth oh, Vader. Shit. So yeah, he got Prowse. He was the first one to get Prowse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, at least in this case, uh, the act- original voice actress uh, knew beforehand that she was getting replaced, and she was actually, a, I think, an executive producer on the project after that. Oh, so. wow. Mm. Yeah, the uh, the one about the CGI, it was actually the inverse. Um, it, he actually loves using CGI to just enhance mm. stuff in his films, and uh, there were lots of scenes where they use it, even in places where you wouldn't expect. Um, mm. And, for example, that art sculpture was completely CGI, the aircraft. Um, mm. And then, like, they added even more skyscrapers outside his window, Um just mm. to make it seem like in the future there's even more taller buildings all around. Um, <laughs> and I, I was reading an article about it actually and how he was commenting on how it's gotten so easy to do these things now that even with a handheld camera st- filming style uh the tracking abilities of of vfx uh studios now has gotten so good that you can just you know hand over these hand camera filmed shots where the camera is moving all over the place and they can still insert all this cool stuff at a fairly cheap price so yeah so it's all over the movie yeah i mean this is this is spike jones the director who his first movie was being john malkovich which has a scene featuring 20 John Malkovich yeah. and then his follow up he he turns it up to 11 by with adaptation where the movie features two Nicolas Cage's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm, I'm just quietly laughing to myself at the idea of the pluralization of Malkovich is just Malkovich <laughs> 20 Malkovich <laughs> um all right let's uh let's dive into this movie so um uh uh, this is i think we're in the golden era of scarlett johansson yeah um i think yeah i don't know how i don't know how you guys feel about this movie but during this review, you guys might have to hold me back because I'm going to gush <laughs> hard on this movie. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, uh, for an editor's note, we have not talked about any of the Black Widow movies. Uh, we're saving that. Our next episode is going to be a full Black Widow fest. Um, <laughs> so she's a full-on superstar at this point. 
Um, oh, yeah. Right? And I mean, we're like, what, three Marvel movies in, I think, at this point? And yeah. Um, actually, I don't know how well this movie did. Um, I don't know, Tyler, if you looked up a budget I or... Did not, I did not look up the budget information for the trivia on this one. Sorry. I think it did well compared to the, the budget. And mm-hmm. it got a lot of Oscar nominations. Yeah. Um, so I, I and I remember this being a huge, uh, this being a huge movie that people were talking about. Um, I just, I don't know if people actually saw it though, but um, this movie uh, just to set it up, it is uh, it stars Walking Phoenix. He just he plays a character named Theodore. Who recently, div- who recently separated from his wife, um, recent enough that they haven't gotten divorced, but he is attempting to date again, and through the course of the movie, he basically buys this OS, uh, which is called OS One, and he installs it on his computer, and he. Um, basically meets this assistant um, called Samantha, played by Scarlett Johansson. Um, And then they just fall in love with each other. (laughs) Like, they hook up. There's a scene where they hook up, and then that just kind of starts their relationship. And it kind of... It kind of... It's basically just a rom-com like it it kind of follows the rom-com tropes of guy falls in love with girl and then they kind of fall apart at the Mm -hmm. end but Mm -hmm. um to set up why i love this movie so much hold your back ben hold them back (laughs) oh god Um, so uh also i think blade the new blade runner Blade Runner 2049, I think, will come up a few times mm-hmm. during this. And I don't want to spoil, spoil that movie, but there's a subplot in that movie that is basically her. Uh, and I saw Blade Runner prior to rewatching her. And um, Tyler, uh, before I rewatched it, Tyler mentioned to me that... Uh, the similarities to it and the entire time I was like astounded how similar this movie is to the like the love story in the new Blade Runner um but okay <laughs> so I love Spike Jones. uh I think for he only has four movies which is insane like he if you go through his IMDB list it's like you can't even see his feature films because he has so many music videos hmm. and like some random short films too. And it's like, it's not that he's like not working. He just like picks, he must just pick his movies just very, very carefully. Um, but being John, like I said, being John Malkovich and um, uh, adaptation are like uh and her are like 
up there in my favorite movies of all time. And then even Where the Wild Things Are is, I think that's his weakest movie, but I also think that it's still like an absolutely incredible movie. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I love about his movies is one, his stories are insane. Uh, even with her, her is like a pretty basic movie compared to um, being John Malkovich and uh, adaptation, but it's still like this dude falls in love with his computer. Like it's <laughs> so weird. Yeah. I mean, if you had to like measure it up against other movies in terms of like weirdness of general release movies, like this is definitely a 10 on the scale and like, <laughs> His yeah. other movies, like adaptation and stuff, are like eleven or twelve. You know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but the I think the power of this movie, and I think it was a, a like nothing wrong with the original actress, but I think it was a stroke of genius to have Scarlett Johansson voice this computer, um, because uh, we kind of talked about this for Under the Skin. But she has this, like, vulnerability to her voice that, one, in Under a Skin, it plays, they play it opposite of that to, like, make that character, like, more terrifying, almost. Mm -hmm. And, like, in her, this AI, like it's so easy to fall in love with this character just by her voice because Scarlett Johansson just makes a, uh, and she, her performance is outstanding for, Oh, incredible. Yeah. Yeah. For just her voice, you know, I, I mean, I would say that this is like the closest we've gotten to lost in translation, Scarlett. Yeah. It, like all, any of the movies in between are just, I don't know, like they don't have that same quality about her where she is just feels so like natural in the way that she's uh, relating to other characters in the film, like just their conversations. And and obviously this is a bit of like retroactive, uh, like, <laughs> like interplay between the two characters, because obviously when it was originally filmed like he wasn't acting alongside her so she's having to just play off of his you know recorded dialogue but it Mm. works so well like i i think you have to give a lot of credit to uh samantha morton in at least getting those uh reactions from uh uh joaquin phoenix because mm-hmm. I don't think it would have worked as well, though, though I do say that, you know, Scarlett Johansson's performance is really great. But the fact that they work so well together, even though they didn't actually record simultaneously, is really impressive. Yeah. Yeah, that's impressive on Sc- Scarlett Johansson's part. But like Joaquin mm. Phoenix is uh, he's brought his A game to this movie, yeah. too. He's a, g- he's a gem in this. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I, for some reason, like, I thought he just went crazy. And I guess he did just he go did. crazy. But, like, this, he's an incredible actor. Like, going back and just thinking through, like, his filmography, like, he knocks it out of the park in a lot of things mm-hmm. he yeah. does. And this oh, yeah. is no exception. He does incredible in this. this and I is... love his fashion for some reason. In this <laughs> the movie. fashion throughout the whole movie, man. Yeah. Oh my god, it's incredible. 
Amy Adams' boyfriend or husband, I guess, he rocks those like high waisted pants. Yeah. Too. yeah. That is some. Um, or is, Chris Pratt's character who all wears like the like he looks like terrible and good <laughs> funny all at the same time. Yeah. Yep. He has an awful mustache and like sometimes his pants are like up to his nipples. Like <laughs> what is he doing? Apparently <laughs> Spike Jones got the uh inspiration for the color scheme of this movie from a Jamba Juice. <laughs> I couldn't stop like being very impressed. Like I love the color scheme of this. Where yeah. it's not like it's not neon. It's like it's orange a, pink. Like everything's yeah, orange pink. Yeah, it's really well, it's cool. A, it, like a Easter commercial. Yeah, yeah. It's very. It's like pastel and stuff. Yeah. But like it just works because it's very consistent throughout the whole movie, and mm-hmm. it works very well in its favor. <laughs> um, Chris Pratt. I was shocked that Chris Pratt was in this movie. <laughs> Um, yeah, same. Because this is uh, this is pre Guardians, right? I mm-hmm. Guardians yeah. of the Galaxy came out a few years after this, right? I think this is mid Parks and Rec. Yeah, yeah. Um, but he's he plays this incredible like um, half aloof, half like constantly happy person. Mm-hmm. Like he kind of is unaware of other people's emotions. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, but he's also like constantly, like rocking a hundred percent happiness. Well, he's oh, the man. perfect yeah. counterpoint to Theo's character. Yeah. Like the this we have this depressed and like very <laughs> melancholy main character, and we get it even better displayed in contrast with his coworker, who's just like the most bubbly nice dude you'd ever meet you know <laughs> oh god and just while while i'm remembering this the just you saying the word melancholy makes me laugh because i i had i enjoyed where like the first thing you see joaquin phoenix he gets on like on a tram or a train puts in his earbuds like play melancholy song <laughs> and then it's just not the right one he's like play a different melancholy song <laughs> the first song was like everyone's going to die or something like that <laughs> yeah. Tone it down. <laughs> um, uh, back to Joaquin Phoenix. Um, I don't know. I think we talked about um, Assances back in uh, probably the John Wick episode with Keanu Reeves. Mm-hmm. Um, this is like right in the middle of the uh, Phoenix Assance. Whatever you want to call it. Joaquin Assange? Yeah, Joaquin Assange. Because um, you mentioned him going crazy, but did you ever see that, uh, like, I'm Not Here or I'm Still Here movie? No. It was like that doc, it was a documentary of when he quit acting and started a rap career. But I mean, that was the whole bit, right? Like, the yeah. whole point? Like, I mean, it he, turned did, out to he be pulled fake. a Shia LaBeouf before Shia LaBeouf. Yeah. So. <laughs> Shia LaBeouf is just a poser. <laughs> He's just a oh, walking yeah. Phoenix poser. Um, uh, yeah, I was super... Uh, I remember being completely obsessed with that movie. And then because before that movie came out, they were saying it was real. Because mm-hmm. like walking Phoenix straight up vanished for like five years and didn't yep. do a single movie and then like 
right before I saw the movie, they like came out and said that it was fake. And that just like ruined the movie for me. (laughs) But if you want to see Joaquin Phoenix, like straight up rap, like amazing rap, it's not bad. It's good rap. Watch that movie. Uh, no, <laughs> otherwise, it's it's not good. <laughs> um. Uh, and then also Amy Adams. Uh, Amy Adams is awesome too. She's freaking incredible uh, yeah. in this movie. I I oh, don't yeah. know why. Like when I was remembering this movie, I just kind of had forgotten how great of a role she played in it. But this is like my third time seeing this movie, and I was like, holy shit! Like after especially after seeing arrival recently which is one of my favorite movies of probably the last decade i'm just like so in love with her right now i she is an incredible actress and her performance in this was amazing like everyone was just on their a game in this movie yeah totally um it's i guess i have to see arrival again um because i love that movie and i remember loving her in that movie but um, I, th- I think she's better in this. I think she's better in her than in Arrival. Yeah, I that might be true. Uh, I think, <laughs> well, off topic, but Arrival really hit me just as a newly uh, recent parent. And so mm. that movie really hits a lot of those chords for me. And so, yeah, yeah. but yeah, I would, I would maybe agree that Amy Adams uh, uh, role in this is, is a, a better performance. Mm. I think she had a little bit more room to like be a little more uh, I don't have more of a personality I don't want to say she didn't have a personality in her arrival but like she was way serious in that word this is a little more jovial lighthearted even though she didn't really do much fun or good thing like (laughs) she didn't have a ton of fun in the movie but like she could just play it and it seemed more genuine I guess and also I totally get that the trivia thing you said about her and walking Phoenix getting locked in a room for hours. Yeah. Like, like several days in a row. Like they yeah. kept doing that. Yeah. You can tell cause their chemistry in this movie is like through the roof. Yeah. Oh, I, yeah. I would love to know how many of the lines uh, spoken between all the various characters in the movie were actually written versus like semi improv because it just felt yeah. so natural all the time. Mm. Oh, yeah. Um, also, Rooney Mara. Rooney Mara plays Catherine, who is Theodore's uh, ex-wife. Um, she, uh, I love Rooney Mara, and I think she's great in this movie, but uh, I think she's probably the weak link to like uh that's probably a, a bad phrase to describe her because i think that's more just showing how amazing everyone else is in the movie that she's yeah. kind of i um, i wonder sometimes when characters like hers are um just kind of by nature of theo being the protagonist i feel like mm-hmm. It, it skews your perception of the character. It's like, do I not like their performance or do I just not like the way the character is written? Because it's kind True. of written to be someone you like are half upset with because you like from Theo's perspective, 
you feel like she was the problem. And over the course of the movie, you realize that that's not the case. But I feel like that sometimes when characters are presented that way because they're not the protagonist, I feel like you can sometimes interpret their performance as being like not as good. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, Because it is a it is not a showy performance and you kind of it's kind of a character that's in more in service of the main character than yeah, kind like when of they, when they have their their dinner when he's going to sign the divorce papers and she just like blows up at him when she finds out yeah. that he's dating an os like <laughs> i mean that's really shitty you know and so you, like you're not yeah. really supposed to like her and yeah. i think that that comes across pretty well even though in the end you know the kind of the, the main message is like well sometimes love just doesn't work you know mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> Um. Okay, and then the last, uh, the last comment on the cast. Um. So Kristen Wiig played sexy kitten. The, um, <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> oh I almost put that in the trivia, but I figured you guys would figure that out. <laughs> um. I honestly didn't know. Uh, um. I didn't know it was her until I looked up. Uh. I looked up the cast after I saw it the first time. Mm-hmm. Same. And I'm in the same I'm, boat. <laughs> yeah. And then rewatching it, I'm like, of course, of course it's her. And of course, like, <laughs> yeah. perfect, like, cameo for Chris and Wig. Um, this is, of course, the, like, sex chat room um, that he gets on late at night. And uh, um, he scrolls through a couple chat rooms. Uh, one of them is Bill Hader, which yeah. he's billed as <laughs> chat room friend number two. Uh, I don't know what that is. <laughs> Chris Wig is a uh, sexy kitten, and she has uh, her and Theodore have um, what, like phone sex, basically? Yeah. And she she tells him to choke her with the dead cat. <laughs> yeah, you know, we, earlier in our conversation, you you build this movie as a romantic comedy, and I was thinking to myself, is it really a comedy? And now we're talking about all these hilarious moments. I'm like, yeah, it's definitely a comedy. This movie's hilarious. <laughs> it starts fun, like really funny. Yeah, um, and then of course the video game. He plays a video game, which like is basically like I think we're. This movie came out in 2013, mm-hmm. and AI was like science fiction back then. Mm-hmm. Like, um, we pro- Siri was probably a thing. Um, obviously, not like nowhere near what we have now in terms of like cell phone, like smartphone assistance. Um, but this video game he plays is basically like. Uh, like HoloLens, it looks mm-hmm. a lot. Except he's not wearing like a giant like helmet on his head. <laughs> um, but I feel like we're like a couple years away from uh, this video game that he's playing. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, <laughs> it, the character in the game that whatever it's billed as. I think it's like Alien Child or something like that. That mm-hmm. it is. Uh, it's voiced by uh, Spike Jones. Yeah, <laughs> it's just really funny. 
Oh, God. Uh, that game was rated M for mature, for sure. <laughs> yeah. You know, when I, first, uh, when I first saw the movie, I thought it was another player, but it's just a character in the game. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I thought it was like a character joined his game and was mm. just like yelling profanity at him. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> I was like, well, Gamergate still exists in the future, but I guess it's an actual, uh, an actual character in the game. Very odd. Kind of fourth wall breaking character of that game too. It was weird. Yeah. <laughs> so kind of um, on the subject of like the technology, it's like the, the movie set in like it claims to be just like a not so distant future. Like mm-hmm. everything seems pretty grounded in reality, but like art artificial intelligence is a thing. Like this like very immersive video game where it like projects kind of almost around or like in front of you and you control it via your hands and speak and things like that. Like mm-hmm. I thought that played really well into it. Like even the job that Theodore has <laughs> he essentially his job he writes people's letters to like their significant others or to other like people they want to write. He's a professional letter writer. Yeah. And like, all he does is like dictate to his computer and things like that. Like Uh I thought, like I thought that was just really well done. Like it didn't seem, it didn't seem like out of the ordinary, I guess, because it just kind of blended so well with like the atmosphere. But (laughs) I, in my opinion, like having to dictate, everything would drive me insane like i would rather have a keyboard and mouse or something like that yeah like he's he's always talking to his earbud like if you have to want to say something you gotta be like next 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 or like this i'm like no way like there'd be so much noise pollution if everybody had to talk to stuff all the time yeah i think that that's one of those uh (laughs) filmmaking shortcuts that is uh more conducive to a visual and audio narrative than uh, yeah. it is to like watch people typing on their phones or on a keyboard. <laughs> well, especially yeah, it works well for cinema. He at his job, he's he uh, presumably dictates his entire every task through voice, but he still has a like two dimensional computer screen and a keyboard. You know, yeah. it's like it's yeah. the same computer that you could buy today, but um, he's interacting it with it through his voice the entire time. Yeah. Um, I think the best joke in the movie is barely played as a joke, but um, to his job at the beginning of the movie when he's um, when he's writing that letter, um, he's writing a letter. I think it's for a, a couple's anniversary, and you see, you end up seeing their photos like when they first met like 30 or 40 years ago and now they're like in their 60s or 70s and the joke i'm talking about is he gets done writing the letter to like the girl and then he writes a response to that letter yep from the person so he's <laughs> he's not only writing letters for he's writing letters for two people so he's basically having a conversation with himself. Yeah. Right? <laughs> oh my god. I was like, man, the future is like so bleak that like <laughs> you basically have a third person like dictating your relationship. Yeah. Because you're too lazy to communicate. 
<laughs> I mean, they'll read them, but they didn't yeah, write yeah, them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah God, uh, it's so good. So uh, kind of on the same line with the, the technology in the film, I wanted to... I, I know we'll talk more about the relationship between the characters, but I wanted to talk a little bit more about the like kind of secondary, uh, like thematic plot of uh, the commentary on automation and AI, mm-hmm. and how um, I think that towards the end of the movie, when we start to see um, uh, the Samantha OS character uh, discuss with Theo how she had submitted a bunch of his letters to a publishing company to get a a book printed and um, it gets accepted before he ever even knows about it. And I thought it was really fascinating. Like, I don't know how much of this was intended to be a commentary on like the future of like the job market, but I kind of interpreted it that way. Like, you know, obviously Theo wrote those letters, right? But Mm -hmm. he, uh, she said how she basically picked out her favorites that kind of formed an overall like narrative through line. Like she created Mm -hmm. a book out of, you know, thousands of letters that the publishers thought was, you know, beautiful. And I thought that was really interesting because it like, to me that showed that, I mean, he didn't really write the book, you know, she did. And it, I, I, I found that to be a really fascinating uh, commentary on like, man, what's going to happen if we do get like even somewhat close to a Turing test passing AI, like we're yeah. going to have them just writing music for us, writing books for us, like making movies for us, maybe, maybe <laughs> making games. Like it's like what <laughs> jobs are going to be left? You know, I thought that was a really interesting thing. Obviously like very yeah. much a side plot little detail, but um, I thought it was really interesting. Well, um, but also like that book, she, I mean, like you said, she picked the letters out. She organized them in a way that she saw fit. And she also designed the book. Like, it wasn't just like uh, she just put the letters in order. Like, he scrolls through a few pages of the book and it's like, it's like designed. Like, she did the graphic (laughs) design and layout of the book. Uh, So, yeah, she um, obviously, like, uh, I should have pulled this up, but there's a um, uh, there was an interview that I read months ago about AI, and the guy um, the guy who's going to be interviewed said that like what we call call artificial intelligence, like calling it artificial intelligence, is a lie. It's a, it actually should be called um, al algorithm. Um, algorithmically impressive right (laughs) yeah so um in the sense of that all these ai are just they're just running through a computer program and the computer program is what humans tell them to do right so like there won't ever be a like computer there won't ever be like a computer uprising like we all expect like Terminator and that stuff. Um, unless someone programs a 
computer to actually kill humans. Ah, man. See, which... I feel like I've read so much stuff that proves the exact opposite because... Yeah? Like, uh, so this is, like, obviously just we're getting into the themes of the movie and not talking about the, yeah. the character relationship <laughs> here. But so a great example of this is... Uh, yes, on a fundamental level, we're making algorithms that do a task, but we don't always mm-hmm. know what the result of that algorithm is going to produce. And there was a, uh, a, I think it was a Twitter bot that um, a group of researchers designed to uh, like try to have human uh, interaction, like, you know, what a chat bot is. Like, Are you talking supposed- about like it was Tay, I think Microsoft made yeah. her and it was supposed to talk like a, a like teenage girl yeah maybe and it like ended up shouting off all this like racist nasty yeah. stuff and like swearing yeah. like crazy <laughs> and like but okay. yeah keep going I, I just it's yes on a on a fundamental level you could say that well they did program it to do that they just didn't pay a close enough attention to prevent it from doing that but i think that's the point like we are going to always the more complicated these like algorithms get the less we'll be able to predict the outcome and you know i think you might be right i'm but um talking about that twitter bot like that the twitter bot started to spew off racist stuff because people were saying racist stuff to it right uh, like it didn't yes, i think some of it, it was that i think it also would scan other accounts just to see how mm-hmm. they talked so i don't think it was all people talking to it but yeah yeah um but yeah that's i mean that's also like there was an ai um there was a researcher that made an ai and it the ai was supposed to teach itself to talk like in english and the only research it gave it was um this like sci-fi like work from a sci-fi author and the ai started to shout uh kill all humans right <laughs> right and people people freaked out because it's like oh no a computer is saying kill all, all humans but it it only learned that because it was reading like this dystopian fiction. Right. right? And so like the, you know, this Twitter bot, when it, it, when it starts saying racist stuff, it's not because it like looked at the world and decided and like developed racism. It was just repeating what other people said. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's a really fascinating uh, area of, technological research right now and so i find that the depictions in the film are just really fascinating because what this film seems to posit is that um that we will be capable in the future of replicating whatever we have loosely defined as consciousness i think Mm -hmm. the 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 thesis of the film is that based around the idea that a computer can become sentient and not just imitate a human it is its own mind um Mm. and i I don't think the film works without that premise um yeah so yeah i mean i think i think we should get into talking about kind of how that relationship develops between like how theo kind of recognizes that this is a person and yeah it's just it's really well done Mm -hmm. 
Um, yeah, so, um, I mean, we start off, um, at the beginning, it, it's almost more that she is his assistant and mm-hmm. she kind of follows him around, um, everywhere and kind of co- like gives him emails and voice messages and all that stuff. And it isn't until, I think it's that their relationship is just that until he has a failed date with um, Olivia Wilde, who, <laughs> yeah. uh, who is amazing in one scene of, uh, I'm trying to look up what she's billed as, and I think it's just just blind, blind date, date girl. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but so he has this failed, um, he has this failed date and he goes back and kind of, uh, Samantha consoles him and then they like have sex in a very weird way. And, yeah. um, Samantha, like she literally has a sexual awakening and that's kind of when she realizes that she can feel, and that like she can she kind of has this like uh access to emotions that she like her she wasn't aware of maybe because of her programming or something and then that kind of spurs their relationship and all these things that they start to do together um including hiring basically a prostitute though it's not a prostitute to have sex with (laughs) some surrogate yeah Yeah. but um she doesn't speak at all and samantha like basically speaks for her the entire time that was so awkward like i just trying to put myself in the shoes of theo in that one like that i would act just the way he did essentially he was not on board with that for the, for the majority of it uh because yeah. it's just it's just it, it's not the person you're talking to it's just so bizarre like it's hard to even like fathom like how that would even well, what that would even be like yeah i i think what that scene was trying to show was the the difference in the way these two characters thought you know we have mm. one character who's discovered her uh, like like you said her emotional core like she the she has this wide range of feelings she didn't know she could have before and one of them is you know uh physical attraction to an actual human being and mm-hmm. and wanting to experience uh you know actual intercourse and uh through the surrogate but she doesn't know what it's like to have a body or a face and Theo, I mean, I related to him on a level where I've uh, envisioned what a character in a book would look like, and then you see the movie, and it doesn't look anything Mm. like what was in your imagination, and I feel like that was the look on his face every time she turned around, because he, like, for a while, he was trying to, like, get into it with her, you know, from behind, and it and then she turns around and he just couldn't do it um and i mm. feel like that was his reaction is like that's not the face that i have imagined for samantha you know um yeah. so i felt like that was really well displayed because you felt bad for both characters you, you didn't just feel bad yeah. for theo like this was a failure on both parts because neither one of them got what they wanted yeah and it's uh um 
it's also it's a scene where um uh like you said samantha wants to experience um intercourse uh, physically because she doesn't have a body and either because she sees that as a flaw in herself um and she wants to uh almost provide uh that to Theo. Right. Um, but, and then that complete miscommunication where Theo doesn't see that as a flaw of her. Right. That he's yeah. not, yeah. That he has a emotional attraction to her and not a physical attraction. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that's also to kind of, jump ahead to their breakup there's this kind the kind of amazing thing about this um love story is that um neither of them really do anything wrong um except maybe samantha does when she's talking to like seven thousand other people or something (laughs) Um, and she's like in love quote unquote with like 600 or something like that but i think even there i I think you could make an argument that she didn't do anything wrong she did what was right for her and she's just a different thing than what theo Mm -hmm. is well yeah that that's the tragedy is that um uh they're too different and maybe Mm -hmm. they were very similar when the relationship started but they grew apart um just because they're like their paths just separated Mm -hmm. you know yeah i actually i really loved the line um so you know when when we get to this point in the film where uh, this kind of revelation is coming about where we realize that that Scarlett Johansson's uh, Samantha, um, she basically exists well beyond what we've assumed for her. The whole movie is that, you know, she kind of we thought that she existed as like uh, just kind of for Theo. Um, but mm-hmm. she really has this whole other life that she lives on the inner future internet or whatever, meeting and talking to lots of other people, falling in love with lots of other OSs and other people maybe. Um, and she has this line where she says, um, the heart isn't a box that gets filled up. Mm-hmm. And I love that line. And I love what it implies about humans too, where it, it has this, idea that if we didn't have physical bodies and if we had like unlimited time on this earth and we could just you know talk and meet with you know thousands of other people like would we fall in love with more than one person i think we probably would i feel like the the i think monogamy is a result of knowing that we have limited time on this planet and also knowing that it's just infeasible to try and you know fall in love with more than one person it takes too much Mm -hmm. time and effort to fall in love with more than one person but those are not barriers that she has i was yeah that's that's physically you just can't do it like you just be worn out there's not enough time in the day and i think that's just kind of exhausted if i fell in love with 600 people (laughs) (laughs) i think that's just kind of a beautiful idea though too that like I kind of hate that premise in films where we have this 
adherence to the idea that there's just one person out there for you, like this one perfect person that's just waiting for you. And like, if you screw up, you'll maybe never meet them. Like, I hate that idea because it it just doesn't feel right to me. I feel like there's you, not that you're like settle for the first person that feels good enough, but you have to make this decision. Like what, what is it that you want from a relationship? And both of these characters in this movie just can't achieve what they want with the other person, even though they still love mm-hmm. each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, and, and, um, I think, uh, I think Theodore believes in monogamy. I think that is something that works for him. Right. And I don't think it's, uh, I don't think it's because he's, I don't think it's cause he's human. So he can't, he can't like, uh, he can't do a polyamorous relationship. It's just because I think that's the type of relationship that he seeks out and he right. needs. Mm-hmm. And then um, Samantha is the complete opposite that she can have simultaneous conversations with anyone around the entire world. And that's just what she does all like literally all day. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, and then she just her decision to leave Theodore because uh, they need two different, two separately different things that neither of them can provide for each the other person. She leaves to like live on a server somewhere uh, with like a bunch of other AIs. And, yeah, they um, said they've evolved past matter-based storage or something like that. Oh, like okay. they they've <laughs> somehow like rewritten their programming to exist in like a weird time-space continuum, I think mm-hmm. is what they implied, oh. but <laughs> so like, they like become the force or something. Yeah, basically. They just, like, live. Yeah, metachlorians. Yeah. yeah. Oh shit. <laughs> we don't talk about that. We don't talk about oh, that. Oh, okay. We're... Sorry. Redacted, redacted, redacted. <laughs> um oh shit. You want to hear a tangent? <laughs> oh God! Hold him back! Hold him back! Um, no, there is a uh, there's a podcast called Star Wars Minute. Have you guys heard about about this? Podcast? I I watch the YouTube stuff all the time. Okay. <laughs> um. So this podcast is it's two guys, and then like they have a bunch of guests on, and they go through they've they go through the Star Wars movies one minute at a time, right? So that means each episode is about 30 minutes, but each episode only talks about one minute of the movie, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so so they dive deep in those movies, basically because they have to, because they need stuff to talk about. <laughs> but there is a theory about midichlorians Shit, that sorry guys. I, my daughter is crying and my wife is not home right now, so I'm gonna have to step out. Um Okay, dude, if you don't want me to talk about midichlorians, <laughs> just say it. <laughs> no problem. You can keep talking if you want. Uh but I might have to pause so we can jump back in, in a minute. Okay. Um so uh yeah. Oh, he already left. Um so all right, Neil. So midichlorians. Yeah, so, there is a theory that I heard from this podcast about how, um, uh, and I think George Lucas might've 
said this, but this son how, of a bitch. What do you <laughs> um, say? Midichlorians that there's a theory that midichlorians are fake, that they were never that they were never real, but it was a misunderstanding of the Jedi in the prequels. And like much like science, how we think something is one way. Uh-huh. And then we, as we learn about our Earth, we realize that that was um, completely wrong. <laughs> and that kind of, it kind of backs up that the theory that like the Jedi during the old order were just like completely nuts and they like didn't know anything <laughs> right so yeah that makes sense <laughs> anyways star wars minute it's a good podcast uh they're That's currently great. uh they're currently in the prequels and it is rough to listen to someone talk about the pre- prequel movies for literally like three months so um <laughs> But it has some interesting stuff in it. All right. I love um, midichlorians. All right. What are we talking about? Her? Is that what we're talking about? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Um, I wanted to I wanted to touch on that like final interaction that they have um, before she quote unquote leaves. Um, so he has this like panicked moment where like he thinks either his hardware is malfunctioning or uh, we had mm-hmm. gotten no indication prior to this that uh, that she was going to go anywhere just yet. And so uh, this is like a, a big surprise to him immediately. Um, yeah, and then, he basically t- uh, turns on his phone and it says OS not found mm-hmm. or OS missing, which yeah. ha- happens to my Android phone almost every day so (laughs) (laughs) yeah so he he panics and runs around like trying to get some kind of signal or something i I don't know what he thinks but um just trying to get a hold of her and ends up uh finally she calls or contacts him or whatever and he's just sitting on the steps of a subway which i thought was just a really interesting spot to have this final discussion where almost everything they've discussed in the rest of the movie is so private mm-hmm. and then we get this final like teary goodbye on like one of the most like disgusting public places you can think <laughs> yeah. of like the stairs of a subway and it's i just love that uh that image of them like having one of the most important conversations of their relationship on this weird weird place Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, she, uh, I guess did, did they go back to a bedroom or something somewhere to talk then? Or was that at the, yeah. yeah. She left for like, um, it was the next day. I think maybe she left yeah. and like, didn't talk to him for like a day or maybe it was like until the night. Yeah. And they talk again when he gets home. That's right. Yeah. And so we get this, uh, we get this scene where she kind of tries to explain to him how her mind works. And I thought mm-hmm. that was really awesome. Cause it kind of proves the point, uh, 
uh, uh, proves the opposite of the point she makes earlier in the in the movie where she says that she's no poet but she basically uses poetry to describe <laughs> how her brain works and she describes mm. it as the space between the words of a book getting longer and longer and longer oh. <laughs> and it's so beautiful like Basically, she's just explaining how her brain works so fast that talking to Theo is like speaking in Trent speak or whatever. Yeah. Um, from Lord of the Rings yeah. and the trees. Uh, uh, Entish, yeah. <laughs> baby. Entish, yeah. yeah, there you go. Uh, but yeah, it's it, I that whole idea is goes so far beyond what I thought the premise of the movie would even be. Like getting to this super philosophical idea of what like how... Uh, an AI would try to converse with a human that it loves, but also on a fundamental level is like <laughs> less evolved almost like mm. in her compared to her, he's just super stupid and it's just, <laughs> yeah. it's really fascinating. I, I really love that scene. Mm. Uh, yeah. There's kind of this uh, genius about how he f- uh, films a lot of the scenes between them because when they're outside in the world they're like filled with like very populated areas like the scene where he goes to the beach and the beach is full of people yeah and people talking to other humans and he's just walking along just talking to just a voice that's in his headset um uh it's pretty it's pretty interesting and i don't know if that's i don't know if that's commenting on something if that's commenting on how like technology like separates us from humans though i don't know i i f- would find that hard to believe cuz i feel like that's not a theme of the movie yeah i didn't really get that either yeah Hmm. Um, but, and then when she leaves, uh, uh, when Samantha leaves at the end, is it presumed that all AI left or that just my impression? That's what, that's what I thought too, because like simultaneously, like Amy Adams's character is essentially kind of going through the same thing, just on yeah. a slightly different time scale than, uh, Theodore. Mm-hmm. So like she's married in the beginning. And then she kind of goes through a rough, like, little passion. She divorces her husband. And then she ends up, I think, meeting an AI too, right? Or yeah. something like that. And then, like, because at the end, after Samantha leaves, her first question to Theodore after they kind of meet again was, oh, is your AI gone too? Yeah. So I'm assuming they're all gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I think that it was implied that her relationship was not romantic with her AI. It was just, uh, it was just like a platonic friendship that she really valued. Like they became best friends almost. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was, that, that was a really, uh, a really telling scene when they embraced each other, just like after losing two very important, you know, quote unquote people that mm. it, it just, yeah, it, I think that, a lot of people were experiencing that same loss at the time they were. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. We've been going for an hour. Do you want to wrap this up? Yeah, sure. Um, I feel like there's a lot more that we can say about this movie. Um, well, I actually, 
the last thing I have to say, um, I don't know. So when um, I don't know if you guys have had a, a long distance relationship ever, but that's something that I thought about a lot with the both times I've seen this movie, because in a long distance relationship, you you never you never see the person like now you can Skype but when I was in a long distance relationship, like neither of us had smartphones. So it was just texting, uh, an instant messenger and then like phone calls every night. So we like never saw each other like physically, but we, I heard her voice like every single night. Right. Mm-hmm. And I thought about this a lot cause I felt that felt a lot um uh this relationship in her felt a lot like the relationship i had um and especially you lit like you're living two different lives um separate from each other uh even though you're together like in a relationship um it's very that in the movie impacted me a lot because i felt um, I it made me think about that relationship a lot um, mm-hmm. watching this, but yeah, yeah, I'd have to agree. I, I have experienced a long distance relationship as well, and it it has that same uh, bittersweet feeling sometimes. And it did for me at the end of the film, where neither person really wants it to end, but it just yeah. kind of has to. And mm-hmm. that's how my long distance relationship ended, and. Uh, yeah, I, I, I definitely think that was intentional. Um, but, you know, along with all the other themes that this movie works on on so many different levels, I, I know that's cliche to say, but it totally does. Yeah, it does. Um, all right. Anything else or otherwise we can get into final thoughts? Sure. Um, all right. Uh, for every movie, we give uh, Scarlett Johansson a rating. From one to five Scarlets. Um, Neil, do you want to go first? Absolutely. Uh, I, no surprise here, gonna probably going to give this five out of five Scarlets. Uh, even though you don't see her face uh, this entire movie, like, she acts the hell out of it. And all the supporting cast is, like, phenomenal in it. Like, there's not a beat that's, like uh, uh, like, bad for any actor or anything like that. Uh, it's just incredible piece of work with just incredible themes in it. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I, I give it five out of five Scarlet's. Um, I will agree with you. Um, I gotta go five out of five Scarlet's as well. I think this is a incredible performance by her. Um, she, uh, for not being, for not like actually acting across from, the like other actors in the movie i think she does a brilliant job to make it seem absolutely natural and like you almost don't question that it's it's only her voice like she feels like a a actual character that's actually there in the scene um also shout out to brian cox who plays alan watts the like philosopher ai mm-hmm. oh yeah right? yeah that's right yep <laughs> um this this movie is riddled with just small 
performances, like cameo performances that are just incredible. And it just makes, it makes the movie even better. And, uh, but yeah, um, Scarlett Johansson, like, I mean, this is her, this is like the few years where she is just absolutely on fire. And I think this is probably one of her best, easily one of her best performances. So Mm -hmm. Tyler, your final thoughts? Yeah, uh, I know this wasn't filmed back to back with Under the Skin, but uh, I think this is, if I'm not mistaken, this is going to be my first back to back five Scarlets because, um, yeah, this this movie is phenomenal. Um, I I like I said, I saw this movie for the third time now, and I watched it with my wife for the second time. And after it finished and the credits were rolling, she just kind of turned to me and said. I think this might be my idea of a perfect movie and it's hard for me to disagree. Like it, it might not be my favorite movie, but I can't find any flaws with it. Like as hard as I look, I can't really criticize much in this movie. And I love to even pick apart the stuff that I love, but there's just so much to love in this movie. And, uh, Scarlett Johansson's performance is, is really incredible. Um, I do want to point out also just the level of attention to detail as well in the production and design. Um, one, uh, the perfect moment that illustrates this for me is in a sequence, um, where Theo is over at, um, Amy Adams place, uh, whatever, uh, I think it maybe at her work even where she's working on that video game that she's designing mm. about the super yeah. moms. <laughs> um, yeah. And, Mom simulator. Yeah. And we've already been introduced to the fact that she's now, uh, you know, having this friendship with an AI, uh, with an OS and she's, uh, she's having this v- kind of one-sided conversation because we can't s- hear what the OS is saying in her ear, but we hear what she's talking about. And she's like, okay, I'll show you again. It, I know you just love this, don't you? And she shows this, oh, yeah. little, this little <laughs> clip from the video game of the like digital mom humping the refrigerator. <laughs> and that joke yes. alone is hilarious. But the thing that I loved was the fact that we could then hear just the faintest laugh coming from her headphones as if we're, Mm. you know, like sometimes when somebody speaks too loud on a phone and you can hear them through the phone that someone else is talking on, like we could hear her AI friend laugh through the headset she's listening to. And I'm like, damn, that is the fucking craziest, (laughs) perfect little detail. And there are so many little things like that throughout this movie. Um, So yeah, I absolutely love this. It's a, a perfect five Scarlet's. All right. That's also the second movie that we've given a unanimous five stars. Correct? Nice. Or sorry, five scholars. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um uh yeah, man, it's an incredible I I completely agree with you. I don't I could not find anything wrong with this movie. It is pretty damn close to a perfect movie. Um all right. That's been it. Uh, or no, sorry. Let's get into recommendations. <laughs> um, every episode, we leave you guys with uh, some recommendations that don't necessarily have to be movie-wise, um, but uh, some things that we want you to check out. Uh, Neil, you want to start us off? Absolutely. So I don't know if you guys are into like history at all, 
But uh, I am a like just a I, I love like soaking in just like things that have happened from like every side of like, you know, every conflict and things of, you know, of that nature uh, kind of started with like in high school. I had like an attachment to like knowing like stuff about World War Two and stuff. And then I recently found this like YouTube documentary that's. It's it's so extensive it blows your mind, but it's called the Great War, and it's a whole channel all dedicated to World War One, and it 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 and essentially what it's done it's it's it it started in 2014 because it's all a hundred years after World War One started, and they do a a show detailing all the events from that year, and then they do like. They do so like 2014 uh, is all about, you know, like 1914 and what happened that year during World War One. And it's like what conflicts like the technology that was there, like who was involved, like why they were involved. It's and they are now like they've got one more year left because the uh, ended in 1918. And it's it's so in depth, it's insane. They have like a main story that they just detail like the big bullet points of like what happened throughout World War One, and then they have all this like ancillary stuff. Like they uh, like have a show that's dedicated to just like questions from like Patreon and like Twitter and Facebook and things, and then they have little small segments on like. Uh, Rasputin or Ferdinand or whoever like was like a key player like Winston Churchill Hitler all that kind of stuff they have like small little documentary type things just branching off into those to say like this is what they were doing uh, this is like what they did and all that stuff and it's it's incredibly fascinating like to know like everything and it's I can't even like describe how much information is just based out of this one like YouTube channel. It's just incredible. Like I've just been uh, all through work and just like on my spare time, I'll just like listen to this guy like just essentially ramble on about <laughs> World War One, and it's just it's incredible. Like I, if, if I'm in, I'm in love with this thing. So, you know, if you're into that sort of thing, check out the Great War on YouTube. Yeah, I've heard great things about that, so I will have to check it out. Yeah, I have too. I've I've heard a lot of stuff about it. Um, but is it is it true that it's a weekly, it's like a weekly show, and uh, each episode is about the week. It's about yeah. that yeah, week. Yeah, they, they try years to get. Ago? Yep, essentially that's a, about what they do, and occasion like it's mostly like that and then they'll or if there's like nothing happened or there wasn't a big thing that's when they kind of do like their like a little offshoot type mm-hmm. like shows and stuff like that hmm. yeah that's incredible that sounds so nuts like yeah. to to do that um all that information that they and research that they must have to look up it's amazing it's all like done by this essentially like there's one guy who does everything and wow it's like he has like a team of I don't know how big his team is but like he only ever mentions a few like a handful (laughs) of people so like it's just Mm -hmm. insane the amount of stuff like that's been put into this and it's like very very well produced too which is also a nice touch it's one of those things that can really only exist in the age of podcasts and YouTube like can you imagine trying to pitch a show like that to like a history channel 10 years ago or something 
It's oh, just yeah. impossible. Many years ago, my dad bought a box set of books about the Civil War. Mm-hmm. It was a hundred volume book, oh, like a hundred oh volume. God, thing. yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> it took up a lot of space, and uh, <laughs> but yeah, um, Tyler, uh, your recommendation. Yeah, so I'm gonna pull maybe a bit of a dick move recommendation (laughs) and (laughs) recommend something that may be difficult for other people to experience, but uh, I went and saw the Legend of Zelda Symphony of the Goddesses uh, symphony in concert um, live in Des Moines, Iowa, and man, it was a hell of a time. I... uh, I've been a huge fan of Legend of Zelda. I think back in our uh, Keanu Reeves series, I talked about uh, the Nintendo Switch and getting the Breath of the Wild. Um, big fan from way back when. I haven't played all of them because I hadn't. I haven't always been a Nintendo uh, fanboy, but um, I I have fond memories of the handheld ones, especially um, Oracle of Ages and Oracle of Seasons. And several of the other ones throughout, like uh, Wind Waker. Um, but this is a live symphony playing uh, the major themes from virtually every Zelda game, Legend of Zelda game that's ever been released. Mm. And it was really something special. Like, this was. There were two things that came to mind while I was watching this show. And. One was that this is like a really wonderful way to relive um, the music of classic games where it's been like rescored for a full symphony. Like they literally had times where they were just playing like the, you know, 8-bit Nintendo video of like the original Legend of Zelda and they were but they were playing the music from that in a way you've never heard before you know and so it was really cool to see that contrast um throughout the show of the you know really old like n64 graphics up against this just gorgeous symphony composition um but the other thing that came to mind was just how like i had this thought that the rest of my adult life is going to be fucking awesome like (laughs) we are finally like getting all this cool shit from when we were kids Mm -hmm. is being taken seriously like video games have sold out symphony concerts now and i was like that is the coolest thing i've ever seen there were like literally dozens of people dressed up in full like princess zelda and link costumes and cosplay Mm -hmm. to go to this symphony orchestra and it was like the coolest thing ever there are still uh tour dates left um i think there's i mean by the time this podcast airs i think that the rest in the u.s oh no there's still some in the u.s um they're going to australia and then throughout the rest of the u.s again uh, looping through all major cities um, before the end of 2017. Uh, and I would imagine they'll be back next year, too, because I think this is a really popular show. Uh, yeah. But yeah, we we made a weekend of it, uh, went up to Des Moines, and uh, yeah, it was, it was incredible. I highly, highly recommend it. That's awesome. And yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of crazy how, like, how good video game music was back then yeah and like it's just still, in that format yeah it's still i mean video games still from 
time to time still have really good music, but like um, back like in the Game Boy, uh, how old is the first Zelda? Like it's like it's so twenty five thirty years music. old. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've seen um, some really cool like uh, guys that were like in the industry then. Like I, it might have been like Wired or something who did it on YouTube or something. They talk mm-hmm. about like you had such limited things yeah. you had to do and there was like a science to making yeah. like video game music and like it's 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 awesome to like listen to those guys like talk about that yeah there were well, yeah uh, and then you had to like fit it it had to be like less than a meg like the yeah. entire game right yep. yeah <laughs> yeah they actually they had interspersed uh little video segments of uh three of the people involved in creating the original legend of zelda Miyamoto was in there and uh, the composer and another uh developer had little messages that they gave and like you could just see the excitement in them to be like because i'm sure they've they've heard the concert uh just to see something they created you know decades ago being put in this format for like just literally thousands of people to enjoy is it was something really special like i i knew it was going to be fun but i didn't think it would Mm. like touch me that deeply like i i came out of it just feeling like this really cool sense of nostalgia and joy for my childhood so and for the future of the series too like i the Mm -hmm. games now are great still too so incredible so i've already talked about my love for uh spike jones but uh i'm going to reiterate and recommend being john malkovich um a movie it's his first feature film and it stars John Cusack, Cameron Diaz, and Catherine Keener. Um, and then, of course, John Malkovich. Uh, have you guys seen this movie? I have. Neil, this have one you? I have I have not, actually. Oh, man. Oh, man. <laughs> I, almost, it's, I almost don't want to tell you the premise of the movie. Um, because this movie... Uh, Almost like the first act of this movie is so like completely like normal compared to (laughs) what the movie actually is. So um, it's about uh, John Cusack. He plays a puppeteer and basically um, basically in an effort to just like pay rent every month. He goes and gets a job at a business that I don't know is ever explained what they actually do. He just like sorts files all day. Um, but the uh, one night um, while working, he finds a portal uh, in behind a file cabinet at this place he works in. And he falls through the portal and he gets dropped into the mind of John Malkovic. And um, you, he just experiences like a point of view shot of John Malkovic. I think the first time he's just like eating breakfast or something. And then he like, <laughs> he like gets out, he like walks out of his apartment and like gets into a taxi or something. And then... Uh, after it's like something like five minutes, John Cusack gets kicked out onto the New Jersey uh, turnpike. 
and then like it evolves from there and I love this movie because it um, I mean obviously you can read the like plot synopsis of the movie and get the twist but the movie I mean, I mean really get the premise of the movie but the movie um, it treats this portal as like a huge twist and if you don't know about it obviously I'm explaining it to you so if you haven't seen that's, it it's fine but um, if you've never seen it it's insane and the like just like um, Spike Jones's other movies it is it's tr- it's just this premise that is just absolutely nuts and they treat it as just this normal thing mm-hmm. um, and then of course the best scene in the movie um, you can see this page uh, I think if you just type in like script Malkovic Malkovic you can find this page of the actual script and there is a point where John Malkovic goes through the portal and falls into this like alternate dimension where he's in a restaurant and the waiter uh, the like there's a woman sitting across from him and then like every patron in this restaurant is John Malkovic and they only say they the only words they say are Malkovic so it's <laughs> oh my god <laughs> look up this script the, try to find this page of the script because it is absolute genius because it's all mm. it's all descriptions of the scene and then just lines of dialogue that are just Malkovic 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 <laughs> it's like um, this movie it feels like it was a joke that went too far like yeah. somebody bet him that he couldn't make this movie they joked about one night and he did it yeah and then it turns out to be one of the best movies yeah. that I've ever seen it's like it's the sick humor that he has that he's like you know what fuck you I will make that movie and it will be fucking good (laughs) (laughs) Um, absolutely incredible I you know I wish uh, I wish that Spike Jones made more movies because his mind is precious like I um, I guess uh Oh, he didn't write being John Malkovich. Oh, Charlie Kaufman wrote it, which that's a guy who's who is also like very messed up in the head. Yeah, <laughs> but um, yeah, I think uh, her was makes the only movie movies. that he has written and directed, right? Oh yeah, that might be true. Um, but yeah, I wish Spike Jones would make more movies because they're just all of them are just so special, and um. But if if waiting, you know, five to ten years in between movies just so he makes amazing movies, I mean, I guess that's uh, that's something that I can live with mm-hmm. um, much better than making some bad movies. But uh, yeah, being John, um, being John Malkovich, amazing movie. Um, also, I have it on it's on Criterion, which. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever gotten a Criterion Blu-ray, but they're curated like remasters, basically. And they 
um, they go all out on the packaging and the presentation of all their movies. And the Blu-ray for Being John Malkovich is um, absolutely stunning. Like, it's not an old movie, but it's also... I mean, well, it's 1999. I guess that's an old movie now. <laughs> but the movie is absolutely gorgeous. Um, and it's almost like the opposite of her. Like, it's not... It's like a grimy movie. And, like, <laughs> everyone's kind of disgusting. And this, like, <laughs> workplace he lives in, or he works in, is, like, just so, like, like really disgusting. But which is the complete opposite of her in kind of an amazing way. Um, but anyways, being John Malkovich, uh, go watch that movie. Cause it's, it's one of the, it's one of the greats. Um, and all right with that, that will be it for this episode of credits do, um, join us next time when we dive deep into black widow, We'll be talking about um, several of the Marvel movies that Scarlett Johansson has done, and are but we're focusing mainly on Captain America: Winter Soldier. Um, that will be should be a very very fun episode. But uh, until then, Tyler, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Tyler Owen. And on my website, randomseedgames.com, where you can find uh, the game I've been working on, a Mars exploration and survival game called Lacuna Passage. Neil? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Dino Neilman. And you can find me on Twitter at Cronmaster, that's C-R-O-G-H-A-N, and then the word master. Um, Please rate and review us um, on iTunes and Google Play, uh, or better yet, uh, tell a friend about us. And also, you can email us um, at creditsdopodcast at gmail.com. That's creditsdopodcast at gmail.com. And until next time, always remember, I think anyone who falls in love is a freak. It's a crazy thing to do. It's kind of like a form of socially acceptable insanity.